Welcome to ESIP's Global Economy Podcast. My name is Frederick Eriksson, and today I am joined by my colleague David Hennig, director of our UK trade policy project and one of Britain's most noted trade experts. We're going to talk about UK trade policy, where it's going and how the politics of trade are shaping up in Britain. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Frederick. So there have been a few notable developments in UK trade policy recently, and we are going to talk about some of them. And I wanted to start with the CPTPP, the Comprehensive and Progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership. Less than two weeks ago, the UK Trade Minister, Liz Truss, announced that Britain would apply to join this regional Pacific trade agreement. And I wanted to ask you, how significant do you think this is for UK trade policy and also over the long term for the prospect of creating a lot more trade opportunities between Britain and the Pacific region? Well, I think the CPTPP, the Comprehensive and Progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership, is the most important UK trade policy initiative currently underway. I think it has real political significance. These are the countries, the the members of the CPTPP, that we would see as our natural trade allies. Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, Japan, Chile even. With the UK outside of the EU, who do we look to to work with, apart from, certainly and apart from the the big three, the US, EU and China, and it would be CPTPP countries. So I think on that level, it's very important. And I think that is recognised right across the UK political spectrum. So though there are some doubts always expressed about the fact these are Pacific countries, it is a Pacific trade pact, actually people can see this is important. These are the kind of countries we want to work with. But, and there is a big but to this, in terms of trade, this doesn't look obviously like it's going to significantly boost UK economic prospects. In most cases, we already have trade deals with these countries, or we are about to have trade deals with these countries in the case of Australia and New Zealand. Only Malaysia and Brunei we would not already have a trade deal with. And also the CPTPP is now showing its age, I would argue, that the provisions are good for a trade agreement of 2013-14, but in terms of the UK's economy, in terms of services, it is rather limited, and it is not obvious that CPTPP could be enhanced significantly in those areas, and these would be questions that we would want to see discussed as we go through the accession process. And is that Britain's intention to join this Pacific regional trade partnership with a view of trying to change it, do you say? I think initially our uh, intention is simply to, to join this new club that is seen as being more suited to us, requiring less than the EU. But we have to be thinking about UK trade as well and making up for any losses in EU trade around the world. This is the global Britain idea that there will be new opportunities. 
So I think a government has to be saying what are the new opportunities, has to be asking that, particularly going through an accession process. And I think that the stakeholders, the private sector bodies will be asking that. And there's a certain amount of disappointment, perhaps, about the provisions that it isn't obvious where those new opportunities would come from joining the, the CPTPP. And if we look beyond the trade of individual goods and services into the global value chains, can the UK really be part of global value chains with countries in the CPTPP, many of whom are part of existing or about to be part of new regional integration initiatives, such as the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership? There is a danger for the UK that this is rather tokenistic. It is more about the politics and the friendship and less about the new trade opportunities. Would you say that there is also, at least to an extent, some political signaling from this initiative, not so much towards the rest of the world, but towards uh, domestic audiences in the UK? I've seen some commentary, some from Brussels or elsewhere in Europe, some from London, which have almost suggested that, you know, this agreement itself is not going to be economically significant. This is all about sort of showing to a domestic audience that Brexit was not about an inward-oriented type of policy. It was much more about breaking free from the EU and opening up to the rest of the world. So is this, is this also, should we interpret it as sort of a Brexit-y type of political intention? Certainly. This is a political signal for inside the UK, but also outside, to say that we are interested in the rest of the world. And I think that one of the reasons that Japan has been a big supporter of the UK joining the CPTPP is that they were particularly concerned, they have a number of investments in the UK, about a UK turning inwards. Would we, in fact, no longer be a reliable member of the, the World Trade uh, Club, if you like? Would we no longer be a country pushing for the rules to be uh, followed, to be enhanced. And I think by joining the CPTPP, we try to send the signal that no, we are interested in global trade, we are interested in global trade rules, and we think this is a better way of organising global trade than by being in the EU. It is better for us, but I think there is also a further signal, it is better for the world to trade on, the, on this sort of basis than on a more integrated basis. Now, clearly that is quite a controversial statement, so it's not made particularly vociferously, but I think that is the underlying intention to an internal audience. But yes, this is the uh, the, the UK making, uh, making a signal of our intent, and I think that is why this is the most significant UK trade policy uh, development of the last uh, few months. Is there also an assumption, either on the part of the British government or by trade policy watchers like yourself in the UK that the CPTPP is not just going to change because of an accession by Britain, but perhaps also by the United States. There have been a number of uh, countries expressing in some way interest in joining the CPTPP or other people discussing whether they might be, and this includes China, the United States and the EU. Actually, the debate in the UK on this has been quite realistic. I've seen one or two pieces saying, yes, it would be nice if the US would join and this would get us the trade deal through the back door. 
but we don't really expect that to happen. Certainly not in the short term. That does not seem to fit with the Biden agenda. So that is a, a kind of nice to have what we might call the uh, the cherry on top of the cake, uh, but it is not the predominant reason for, for doing that. Now, there may be more interest in other countries that may join the CPTPP in the future, even from the uh, Asia-Pacific region. I'm thinking here Thailand or South Korea. So it, it's not just about the uh, the bigger countries joining. It should also be noted, we don't really know what the accession approach or strategy is of the uh, CPTPP countries. No one has yet uh, exceeded. We don't know if countries that do exceed will have to follow, that will forget to uh, have a say over new members, for example. We don't know if there'll be different classes of CPTPP member in the future. So there's a lot to, to work out about this. But I think actually in political terms, quite a lot of realism in the UK. All right, so let's uh, move to United States and to follow up on that conversation, whether the US would be interested to join the CPTPP. But let's talk about more bilateral relations between the UK and the United States. So under the Trump administration, there were negotiations going on about a bilateral free trade deal between the UK and the United States. These negotiations were, I'd say they were moving forward, but not at a very fast pace. What has changed now with the Biden administration? Is there still an ambition and perhaps uh, an assumption on the part of the UK that there will be a bilateral trade deal with America coming in the next couple of years? Or do they now see a different tone coming out from America, which suggests that while they can do a lot more diplomatically with the United States, that idea of a free trade agreement is probably not realistic? Somewhere in between, I think, with regard to UK-US trade deal, it would still be something the UK government would very much like to see, if certain problems can be overcome, which I will return to. It is acknowledged that it is now harder to uh, to do that. I don't think that the UK government has given up, and I don't think I wouldn't would would give up on this. I think that um, there there is a window. I'm thinking 2023, maybe a, a couple of years into the Biden term. Once uh, he's resolved more domestic issues, he may want to uh, to have a trade deal to uh, to show that he he, he achieved that as well as um, bringing jobs back to the US or whatever his major domestic concerns are. And the UK would be a natural fit for that. So I certainly don't think that. It is all over. Some progress was made, though I think it was made mostly on the easier chapters. There is a big outstanding issue, which is agriculture, the food standards, whether the UK would allow in the well-known uh, US food uh, that is banned in the EU, the hormone-treated beef and the uh, chlorine-washed chicken and the and the rest of it. That remains a big issue for, for UK trade policy that is unresolved. There is a shorter term issue, which is that in as part of the fallout from all the trade cases between the US and the EU, the uh, the iron and steel uh, and aluminium, the Boeing and Airbus subsidies, we find the situation in which uh, Scotch uh, exports to the US are being hit by uh, pen penalty tariffs, and that's costing a lot of money. The, the UK government had hoped that could be uh, resolved before Christmas. It was not. So we have a number of issues with the uh, US. And yeah, the UK government really needs to show how it can manage to, to resolve these. Is there also 
I wouldn't say an understanding, but there's, is there any forward planning for how to deal with other types of frictions that are growing between the UK and the United States? I mean, take, for example, on digital taxation. Um, the UK is on a Section 301 list uh, in the United States for having introduced a new type of digital services tax, which the previous administration didn't like. They draw up a retaliation that they wanted to introduce uh, in the beginning of 2021, but they delayed that and basically left it to the new Biden administration to deal with it. But this is just one of several examples of frictions growing between America and Britain on you know, quite important type of policy areas. Is there a plan for by the British government how to how to address these things? I don't think that is a plan for the UK government in addressing the broader issues around trade policy. And I think this is one of the big vulnerabilities for the UK is that we are talking a good, a good game about global trade. But in terms of the big decisions to be made, in terms of the difficult policy choices, they are not being made and they're not really being grappled with on a serious basis so for the digital sales tax we are on that list it is still not clear whether we will be going forward with the digital sales tax i think it would be hard after everything that has happened with the covid lockdown for the uk not to go forward on something in around digital sales tax but it's not clear what form that may take how we're going to talk with the us about that i already mentioned the food choices that could be a problem even before a trade deal. The UK could find itself taken back to a WTO dispute settlement if the US rejoin, because we are going to carry on following EU food law for the time being, even in those areas which have where the US has won previous cases, like uh, the, the hormone-treated beef. Even with CPTPP, there are policy choices to be made. It is not clear how the UK government intends to approach those policy choices, uh, how they will make them. There is almost a sense at the moment of them being put off, being continually pushed down the road, and just it being more important to show momentum and that we're making progress in talks rather than tackling the issues. And that feels like it runs the risk that we will be coming back in a few months' time and suddenly these issues will have grown big on the government and they won't know how to resolve them. So I think that that is probably the biggest risk of UK trade policy is no real mechanism for dealing with the big questions that trade policy brings forward. I want to bring in the issue about China here, because I think this probably is going to have a pretty central role in whatever is going to happen also on US-UK relations. But let's start that from a different vantage point. So the British government has seemed to command a pretty solid majority in favor of doing trade agreements. But there has been a few debates in the last weeks especially when a new trade bill was presented to the parliament and the debate around it suggests that there may be a few things changing in the future. There were several MPs who argued in favor of conditioning trade agreements on some human rights aspects, in this case related to genocide. And my interpretation of it, and correct me if I'm wrong, David, but I thought of this as predominantly being a discussion about UK's relation to China. So what is the UK approach to China going to be? To what extent 
have things changed so remarkably since that period under David Cameron, sort of when Britain wanted to be China's closest friends in Europe. Now there seems to be much more of a collision course, and perhaps we shouldn't expect much to happen in UK-China relations. There have been truly remarkable changes in the UK policy approach to China. As you say, the, uh, the UK and China were in a place where it was being called a new golden age of uh, China relations, and nobody would call that the case now. And there are a number of parts to disentangle here. The first part is that from a business perspective around Brexit, the number of business leaders who told me a couple of years ago, we're not that interested in new trade relations with EU or Australia, we already do fine. What we really want are new trade deals with China and India, the hard markets to, uh, to deal with. Well, that looks further away than ever. What we have seen is the establishment of a new body in Parliament called the China Research Group. We used to have a European research group, which were uh, seen as being particularly influential on Conservative backbenches in pushing for a very hard Brexit. We now have the China Research Group, which is pushing hard for reducing links between the UK and China for more scrutiny and monitoring of China's inward investments into the UK. And now in terms of the, the trade bill, which has been going around for a long time, and uh, ironically, its main purpose, which is to deal with uh, the existing trade deals, the replicas that we've had of EU deals, has already really been served because most of them have already uh, gone through Parliament, but has been sidelined for all this time on various amendments. And the most serious is about what is being called the uh, the genocide provisions, in which if a country that is committing human rights abuses, potentially genocide, that there should not be trade deals with them, and or that Parliament should have a say. I that there are some details as to how this works, but clearly this is a sign that uh, backbenchers are saying we don't want to be doing much business with China. But this, of course, is a problem for the UK government, which was very open to Chinese investment, has historically been very open uh, to that, but has been falling a little behind in terms of exports to China. And we could also say that if the UK is struggling in our relations with the EU and are facing new diplomatic tensions with China, and do not have an entirely smooth relationship with the US, that is not a fantastic place to be. And the CPTPP countries are nice, but they are not the global leaders. And we seem to be struggling with the global leaders. So there are problems emerging in terms of what we do about relations with China. And as yet, we are not quite sure where this is going to. And those MPs that are now at least laying down a marker for future type of relations. I mean, to what extent do you think they, this is going to influence the broader relations with China? Not so much about whether we're going to negotiate, whether the UK is going to negotiate with them, but much more about, so how do we deal with different type of frictions and problems that we have in this relation? These problems can be about national security, uh, for instance, around you know whether you can accept Huawei uh, participating in Britain's 5G rollout. Uh, but there are lots of other issues as well where it becomes a bit difficult to think about how we are going to relate to China in the future. Because in the first instance, 
the economic significance of China is simply too big in order to have a policy where you would basically seek to disintegrate from China. The role of China for future technology is too important for any country to be basically bracing up borders to the point where we cannot have an economic relation anymore. On the other hand, the problems around human rights abuses, they are already there. And we can think about you know, supply chains by British or other firms in China that include labor from detention camps, just being one example of these kinds of problems. So is there any idea for how, how you can sort of deal with those issues constructively? It is a very difficult subject, the issue of relations with China, I think, really for the US and for, and for, the, uh, for the UK. In the last week before we uh, record this, we have seen the China broadcaster CGTN uh, removed from its broadcasting license uh, in the UK. And then we've seen what I assume to be a retaliatory move against the BBC in, in China. So that is uh, a sign of tensions when that sort of thing happens. The UK have been, were trying not to follow exactly what the US had suggested with regard to Huawei, but seemed to be being pushed into a harder direction really by the prevailing, the prevailing winds. We have suggested that we would join those countries who are putting forward um, new proposals at the WTO with regard to China and, st and state subsidies, that is Japan, EU and, and the US. I, I couldn't help noting that compared to uh, Japan, the EU and the US, the UK would be the only country that had not done any kind of trade or investment deal with China in the last year. So we are in a, a risk of, of talking tough and acting tough where other countries talk tough but in fact sign up to deals. And the UK has exposure. There's another argument going on in the UK about Chinese students. I think the same in the in the US. To what extent should we carry on welcoming large numbers of Chinese students into the into the UK? Can we be sure about these Chinese students? But this, in normal times, we don't know what will happen uh, post COVID. This is a huge uh, UK export universities that is at risk. Even something as uh, as English as the uh, the Premier League. We have football teams owned by uh, by China or by Chinese companies, uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers, I uh, I believe. What happens to the major Chinese investments? Because in the past, China has shown that if their uh, investments are at risk or if there are countries that are not going to uh, to play ball as they would like, then China will take action. So it is a very tricky situation for the UK. And again, not one where I think we are confident that the government fully has this under control. I don't think any, I'm not sure any government fully has the China relations question fully under control. But the UK, it seems to me, is quite vulnerable again from being on our own, from only just getting our processes together, from a sense of that immaturity in dealing with the international relations and trade relations question. And it seems that it has been taking us longer than you would have hoped or expected in 2016 to get ourselves ready for our new status. Is it a concern for Britain that the EU soon may have sort of a, an investment agreement with China that also includes the type of issues that you normally 
don't include in a bilateral investment treaty. A few market access issues, for instance. I mean, I imagine that even if Britain doesn't have sort of a coherent strategy for how to deal with China, it still wants to have investment from China and also investments that would use the UK as a gateway uh, in accessing the European market, especially in, in a few areas where it's easy to integrate with Europe from the UK. So a new investment agreement between the EU and China may then cause consequences for Britain that they need to find a way to manage. Oddly, this has not been something widely discussed in the UK with regard to, to the EU agreement, whether people have not really understood what's in the EU agreement or the focus has really been on whether the EU should be having an agreement with China at all. Maybe the UK debate has been rather purist towards China of a kind of binary yes or no, where it's going to be no, where actually it needs to be more sophisticated. So I think if the UK was looking at this, it would be thinking, well, what you know, how can we uh, interact with China? Certainly, I was in I was in government uh, thinking about China policy ten years ago, and certainly we were thinking then even within the EU, how can we get what we want compared to France or Germany? That sort of thinking is not obviously evident at the moment. As I say, it just it's a UK government that seems to be feeling its way around this difficult topic without having a clear sense of direction. So, no, I, I haven't seen really any references to, uh, to UK-China business relations in the UK media recently. Let's talk a little bit more about the politics of trade in the UK. So we had this trade bill that arose a few problems for the government. And I wanted to ask you, David, to what extent do you think this signals that trade policy is going to become politically more complicated in the UK in the future? I think the expectation both inside the UK and outside the UK is that, broadly speaking, the UK is an open economy, it's free trade oriented, uh, and we're not going to have lots of problems with MPs or other political constituencies in the, in the UK interfering with ambitions for freeing up trade bilaterally or globally. You think that impression is correct, or do we, do we see signs that this sort of broad consensus may be fraying a bit at the edges? Well, I think that a little bit of both, because I think actually that the UK does retain our general belief in, in, in free trade. We can argue a little bit about what the definition that either the government or the opposition are using, but you don't really get in the UK much of a sense that trade is a, is a bad thing. We are relatively open. I think we're relatively open in our attitudes. Clearly, the EU and Brexit debate cut across this quite a lot. But no, I think, I think we are broadly pro-free trade. And I think that the issues that we see with regard to the, the trade bill, I would say that these are simply issues around the complexity of, of modern trade. What does it mean to be free trade in 2021? What does it mean for trade and, and climate change? What does it mean in terms of, of animal welfare? 
we come into trade policy new when other countries have been had established positions for many years we have to think about these these questions because we also have a a highly active civil society who will force these these questions upon us so you're almost i suppose the the uk was in a way you could say we were you know we're we're fortunate we can think about uh, trade policy anew well it's not just the government who's thinking about trade policy anew it is plenty of uh, other organizations as well and are demonstrating this is quite a, a complicated issue and i don't think the government has done very much to understand that they really need to forge a consensus on the new issues of trade they they talk a lot too much really about tariffs and not enough about trade and climate change where there should be an issue for um, an opportunity sorry for the uk trade and animal welfare where the uk could actually be a leading player where we could actually and this is the, the positive view of uk trade is that we could have the opportunity to um to set rules around these issues which are both pro-trade and help to tackle uh, climate change we're probably in a very good position to do it and the government has been pretty tentative about it hasn't really sort of understood the whole dimensions of uh, of those issues it isn't too late but it is getting towards that uh, that stage in the eu now we are talking about issues like economic sovereignty technological sovereignty or getting independent from the supply of goods or services, perhaps technologies from other parts of the world. We have a discussion about resilience in supply chains, you know, after the experiences last spring with shortages of critical medical supply. That discussion has broadened into the a lot more about uh, supply chain dependent, generally not just for key strategic type of, of, of goods that you would need, for instance, in a time of a pandemic. Do you have this discussion in the UK too? We have some of that discussion, but I would say watching both the EU debate and the UK debate, we have a lot less of the reshoring and technological sovereignty kind of debates. We've had the debate on regulatory sovereignty, clearly about Brexit. But I would say that there is more realism at a sort of integral level in the in the uk that trade is part of the answer to this that it we can't be making our own supply chains you do see people talking about these things but lacking i would say conviction i think that the uk and this is where we do share i think more in common with cptpp countries that view that actually it is trade that is going to provide the answers to these questions about uh, resilient supply chains. We're not going to be growing all our own food or making all our own robots, nor should we be seeking to do that. We should be seeking to do that through through trade. So this is where one can be more optimistic about the UK, because that basic belief in trade is much stronger than you would find, I think, in, in the EU, that we don't have that view of, of self-sufficiency apart from a few isolated uh, examples. Now, putting that into practice in terms of what that means in the 21st century, I think that's more difficult, but I think that the, the conversation starts in a better place. All right. Finally, David, I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about the global role of UK there was recently a new paper published by Robin Niblett and the Chatham House about global Britain and what that means in practice. And they outline 
a strategy for Britain, which is to become a global broker. Now, what do you think this would mean in trade policy? Obviously, joining the CPTPP is one possible iteration of a country who is a global broker, using the CPTPP to improve, for instance, broader market access and rules on, for instance, new digital trade. But what else is there that Britain may or should be thinking about when it comes to its global role? Well, in that Chatham House paper, trade was not listed as one of the uh, key priority issues for the UK to be a broker in. But let's have a go at that anyway, because I think we could be. And I think it would be a natural role for the UK, not necessarily as the only broker. I think we're we're past that point, but as one of a group of countries that helps to develop uh, the system. And I think that what that means is very much support for the the principles of the world trade system around non-discrimination and most favoured nation, ensuring that uh, to the extent we can, that those rules are being followed, they are being enforced, working with like-minded countries uh, on that, preserving some kind of balance in the system. If we assume that it will be a little bit uncomfortable because of EU-US-China tensions, there is a need for really the next group of countries, the likes of the UK, Japan, Canada, to work towards keeping the uh, the system uh, moving and working with our more powerful neighbours where we can. And I think the UK might be able to get to that situation. The problem we have, I think, is that there will always be a, a suspicion at the moment that we're closer to the, e- the US than we are to the EU, and that is going to be tougher for us to broker. And I also think that we need to have a little bit more of a track record. We need to understand the newer issues of trade, as I say, around the the likes of climate change before we can really be some kind of broker. But I think as a vision for what the UK can be, we're not going to be, we aren't one of the, the leading powers of trade, but equally, we're not going to be a country with absolutely no influence or, or presence whatsoever. And I'm afraid that too much of the debate in the UK still oscillates around those two poles, because the first is obviously a, a Brexit position that says we're a leading country, and the second is the, the Remain position, which is that we're insignificant. We are neither. We have significance, and we have to learn to, to play it. And I think that, yes, the issue, the issue will be how long will that take us? And I think we'll need to get a little bit more of a track record of helpfulness and of thinking. I just don't think we've had, the government hasn't come up with any lines yet on trade and climate change. We haven't said we were going to join the, the Digital Economy Partnership Agreement, for example, the New Zealand-led plurilateral or the uh, the one on uh, on climate change. We're not putting anything forward into uh, into the game yet. I think we need to do that before we can be a broker as well. David, it's been a great pleasure talking to you. Thanks for joining the podcast.